Hi, it's Contrera here. Just a quick note at the beginning of the podcast. We are presuming that people who've listened to part one or are just starting with this podcast know the films that we're talking about. There are some mild spoilers, but in order to save time, we didn't have any plot summaries for these episodes. Hope you enjoy David Fincher part two. Thanks very much. Welcome to part two of our David Fincher series for Beyond Bechdel, the podcast about film and feminism, where I ask Nick, hi, hi, whether David Fincher is the greatest living film feminist, and the answer is no. yes. Is that it? Are we done? <laughs> no, we're not done because we have only covered four films. We went from the mid-90s to the early 2000s. So Panic Room, which was the end of part one of the podcast, was directed by Fincher in 2002. Do you know how long it took him to make his next movie? Um, hmm. Uh, four years, I think. Five. Five. You're nearly there. And what was that movie? Zodiac. Yes, very good. 2007, David Fincher makes Zodiac. So he was doing very well. He was scoring very high on the Bechdel test and feminist filmmaking scale. And then he thought, mm, women, mm. I think they should just be tortured and murdered. Yeah. It's about the dogged determination of people to try and determine who a serial killer is. Which is something, obviously, that David Fincher uh, plays out in more detail when he made the TV series Mindhunter recently. But this is a film where it's not just about the plot, which is quite scary in itself. There are murders that happen in the middle of the day that, that are ascribed to the Zodiac Killer... But there's sleuthing, there's people doggedly talking to other people to try and get things done. The, the Fincher also shows how um, trying to find the Zodiac Killer can become an obsession, particularly for Gray Smith, and it kind of destroys his relationship with his new girlfriend who becomes his wife. Yeah. And then they might actually have the Zodiac Killer, but they can't quite get the information. Yeah all sort of slightly unprovable, every, every avenue they go down. Yeah, and I suppose the whole point of the film, though, is that, like you said, they can, they can never prove who the person is and the person's never, ever found. They have this one character, Lee, mm. who I get the impression Fincher and maybe Graysmith, because it comes from Graysmith's book, um, based on the real-life search for the Zodiac Killer. Um, they think it's this guy, 
And I think you're led to believe as a viewer of the film that it's that guy, but nothing's ever certain. Yeah. Yeah. The theme of it is is the unknowing, isn't it? It's, it's this killer who, as you say, taunts the police and taunts the, the San Francisco Chronicle and seems to have some sort of desire for fame, which, which I think they slightly indulge and they do question it themselves at, at some point in the plot. But ultimately, every every investigative investigative um, direction ends up being a dead end, or maybe it's a dead end, maybe it's not. But you just don't know, and it's just it's that level of uncertainty and how it drives the characters onto the sort of uh, the, the brink of collapse, um, and that's really what it's about. Because each of the main character, each of the main characters, sort of goes through that, and each of them comes up with nothing, or or maybe they come up with something you don't really know. But it's. Uh, it's just about that, that human condition of um, having to know and, and when do you stop. Well, and what it does to you, if you look at every single Fincher project as focusing on some kind of problem with the human psyche, then this film, yeah, is about that not knowing and the struggle to find the answers to the detriment of everything else. Yeah, yeah. They're almost... The perversion here is that they all want to find out who's done it almost more than stop the murders. I think that's the interesting psychological part of this. Yeah, and as you say, to the detriment of everything else in their lives, um, which is a bit of a cliche, but as it happened, a true one in this case, I, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, I don't think that that was made up, um, where people become alcoholics, their marriages break down, so on and so forth, their careers are ended, and all because they just couldn't let this go. Mm. Um, and it's kind of slower moving than other Fincher films. And the idea here, I believe, is that um, sometimes we'll go crazy with not knowing and that that's the real tragedy. This film is very long. I think it's three hours long, is it? It is quite long. I don't know exactly, but yeah, I do remember thinking it went on a bit. <laughs> I didn't when I watched it recently. I did the first time. It's 157 minutes. Yeah, so two, what two is and a half that? hours, yeah. just over. And um, again, by this discussion, for someone who's never seen the film, I think they'd be put right off. And I think that they shouldn't be because there's so much more than just the plot. Because the plot, someone might be disappointed that it's not Fight Club or Seven or Panic Room. There's not necessarily a sense of threat all the way through. It's a kind of underlying... There's a serial killer out there and no one can stop them. But it's not a horror movie. Mm. It's not, it doesn't feel as like on your doorstep as that. It's more about this. It's, it's quite a good film to explain the pandemic, right? It's a bit like coronavirus. It's out there and it can kill someone and nobody knows exactly how to stop it or what's causing it. And that's what I feel. I feel like it's kind of a good film for these times. And then there's the second aspect to this movie, which is about the cinematography. It has some absolutely beautifully lit scenes. You know, we talked about in the previous episode, the check-in with... Um, so we've done check-in of puzzle solving this entire film is trying to solve a puzzle that never gets solved and will probably never be solved I I presume and um, in terms of colour this is a film that actually quite a lot of it or fair chunks because it's two and a half hours a a fair proportion of it is set in in daylight Mm. one of the murders that occurs because the way that Fincher stitches together the story is I presume he is assuming that at least a few of the murders five that happen in that period of the film are caused by 
the Zodiac Killer, and mm-hmm. so they give us a they give us a scene which is almost from the perspective of the killer, or at least not being able to identify them but being present. And some of those are in the middle of the day, which is not something you're used yeah. to with a David Fincher film. There's also a very famous scene where um, there's overhead camera. I don't know if it's a drone or anything, and it's um, following the taxi which is at one point in the film, the killer, which I'd forgotten. I remember the taxi scene because I've seen it lots of times, like out of context of the film. But within it, it's actually when he is a passenger, the killer is a passenger, and he's just driving somewhere where he can then assault the taxi driver. But I didn't realise that. So I think you're supposed to feel this sense of threat. But all the way through it, I still just go, God, this is just so beautiful, this (laughs) overhead shot. Did you find the shot choices and the lighting yeah i think the one you're referring to is the is the 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 lock-on camera overhead isn't it yeah and i did wonder myself how how that was done because usually you you would do it by affixing a camera camera to to the thing that you're shooting it's far too high up for that so it must be some some sort of special effect that that's done with Well, it can't be a drone because it well, would be too too well, wiggly. Well, yeah, but you couldn't lock yeah. it on precisely, could you? So, so what happens if you had a really high crane? <laughs> um, but then it still be after attached no. to the car, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or would it? I don't. I don't. I, I have no idea how they do that shot. To tell you the truth, but it's a lovely shot. Will you talk talk about the film while I look out how they did that shot? Yeah. Um, it's a. I mean, there's a thing about these kind of films. I think that there's a there's a few films that fall into this category where. You kind of know, even if you didn't know anything about the, the, the Zodiac killings, which I didn't when I watched this film, um, you kind of know it's not going to get resolved. And I think it's, it, it becomes apparent sort of 45 minutes in or something around the time that you, you kind of know this is... For us, yeah, not for Jay Gyllenhaal's th- this, this is not, you know, you're not <laughs> going to get the answer here. So then it really becomes a study on how people react. And, and there are a few films that do this. It's a funny it's a funny experience as a viewer because you kind of want it to be resolved. Mm-hmm. But deep down you know it won't. So you're invited to see how the, how the characters play, Well, especially play if, you know, if you're an American, particularly, I would have thought, you know this because it's probably part of your cultural folklore. Yeah, I don't, know how, I don't know how well known it is. I have no idea to tell you the truth. I don't think I knew about it until the film came out. But I think it's more popular in particular areas yeah, of maybe. America. It's there's a... Dirty Harry film based on it, isn't it? Maybe even the first one, I can't remember. But there's a scene in the film uh, oh, is where, where they go and see Dirty Harry. They all go along to the cinema to see one of the Dirty Harry films. It might be the first one, I can't remember. Oh, in Zodiac? Yeah, in Zodiac. But that's because it... Re- uh, right, yes, uh, because, I remember they... Because it's, yeah. it's based on the, right. the Zodiac killings. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and if you like that kind of film where you're really just observing people's reactions to not knowing... And, and you're content with that, then uh, fine, no problem. I do have a little bit of an issue with that being two and a half hours long, I have to say. Well, that's um, because he wanted to be true to the book and because he probably wanted to give the audience that grind, you know? Well, I think he splits... And it's a labour of love, well, I isn't it? I definitely think he splits it into two. Um, and yeah. I think he splits it into the half of the police investigation led by Mark Ruffalo and then the other half of... Jake Gyllenhaal's own personal work into it. I definitely yeah. feel that there's 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 two elements to it there. Well, and because it was Robert Graysmith's book that it was mm. based on, maybe Fincher felt like he owed it to Graysmith to meticulously show. Yeah, yeah. What he went through for years and years and years, and how yeah. it affected indeed people. 
Yeah, conceivably. Um, it's funny because Fincher films are always about things where people are a little bit off and they're not necessarily in the norm and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing weird behaviour, what's called weird behaviour. But he never, ever... What's the word? Kind of... I don't think he ever focuses on things for too long as if he's mocking the subject matter. I think whenever Fincher makes a movie about something, he does it with empathy and sympathy. Because there is another movie that could be made where Robert Downey Jr. is so much more over the top and it's laughable, his drunkenness, and that you feel really like embarrassed for Gyllenhaal's Graysmith in the hands of another director. Yeah. But I think that Fincher kind of... I don't want to say feel sorry, but just feel sympathy for every person in this and doesn't fetishise it in a way that, like... You know, you could make it a tearjoker or you could make it cringy and he doesn't Mm. do either of those things. Indeed, yeah. I think there's also a... One of the the sort of themes that came out of it that that I think is... I'm not sure how this was truly resolved in, in either in the film or in reality, which is mm. this idea: if you you send a uh, some sort of letter and a code to a newspaper, and the next day they print it, I can't imagine they would do that these days. Yeah, it's um, of its time. It's of its time, well. and I just wonder whether there's a bit of commentary there about whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. In other words, had the newspaper just buried it and not and, and, and ignored it, whether or not they actually ended up. Um, making the situation worse. Well, it wasn't just that. The Zodiac Killer was quite clever in the fact that he sent it to multiple newspapers, so mm. they were also vying against each yeah, other. Yeah, indeed. So maybe it's something yeah, about indeed. circulation. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. There's a separate movie there, which is about the newspaper business. Yeah. And if you look at things like The Post um, or Spotlight, they're kind of similar in the sense where the, f- the films are about the subject matter, but they're also a, a love letter to yeah. newspapers. And I think yeah. that Fincher, not, not necessarily a love letter, because I don't think he, I don't think he casts his eye over things like that. He's not emotionally involved. I think he's no. a very, he's like Kubrick, he's a very um, distanced director. Yeah. Um, I, but, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care. Well, certainly the perception of newspapers of that era is is that they are... 100% factual. Yeah, that they are, that, that they are there for the yeah. public good, that they're trying yes. to do a service. Yeah. Um, that comes into question in this film, I think, slightly. Maybe. I'm not sure I agree, because I think, again, you're using your 2020 lens. When I watch that film, I think he's just saying, he's comparing it maybe to today, but I think at that time, they because they were debating it, they, debate, they debated the ethics of whether to do it or not, and I don't even mm. know if they did it first, didn't another newspaper do it first, I can't remember that bit. Anyway... Would it, would it, but, but would it not have made sense? Uh, well, could they not? Could the, the editors of all the major newspapers have not got together and said, "We're we're not going to print it because we think it'll do more harm than good." But would it have done more? Well, harm? I, I, it might have killed more people. Well, I don't know, but that discussion yeah. never happened. Yes, um, uh, no, no, it never happened in the film. Well, <laughs> I don't okay. know if it never well, happened. Okay, well, no, I, that's true. But, only focusing but on that's one true. Paper. But we we can only react to what we saw in the film, so we are assuming that, that that's the that's the account of what. But they happened. did. What they did decide. They did. Decide discuss the ethics and they, they did yeah they, they didn't did. just print they did. it absolutely they did but what i'm saying is um, is that they are you they are faced with an ethical dilemma between 
do you print something and you might stop it or do you kowtow you to not? a possible serial killer? Or do you do you yeah. talk to the police and ask them, what do you want us to do? I think they did. I think that's what they do in the film. Did they do that's that? That's how Mark Ruffalo I, gets involved. I didn't think they did. I thought they went ahead and did it. And, oh, they, and only then. And only then. And, and, I, and I just wonder about that. Yeah. I just think... I know I am sort of bringing 2020 uh, newspaper um, bearings to this. but at the, But at the same time... Um, printing something that's been written to you by a serial killer is, yeah, it wouldn't is, happen is wraught with, with, yeah. with problems. And they I, didn't I, show it in the film. So you want it to be three hours long. You oh want a God half an no. hour debate oh about no. the God morality. No. No. test check-in. There is a scene in the film, because I remember it, and I think that that shows that this is where the Bechdel test doesn't help you, because if you can pick out one scene, it doesn't suddenly mean this is a female-friendly film. There's one scene, quite harrowing actually, where um, the ki- the Zodiac Killer, we think, um, loosens the axle on a woman's uh, car, back wheel, and then she ends up having to come off the road and she has a baby in the car and then he, he um, gives her a lift. It's all part of a cunning plan. You get the idea. And then you don't see this. This is, again, where Fincher could have gone so much darker. And I don't know if it was because he wanted to get whatever. I don't even know what it what it is, a 12 or a 15? It's not an 18 film. Not sure. There's, I don't think there's anything that bad no. that happens in it. Um, not, even, not even really That's... swearing. Anyway, let me get to the beta yeah, test sure. before you get there. Um, and then she, then it, the point I was going to make is that he throws the baby out of the car, they say, but you never see that. Yeah. You just see her fall out of the car. And then um, basically a woman stops and then talks to her and she's gone mad, the woman whose baby has yeah, come out of yeah. the car because she's like, if you're my baby, oh my God, it's going to kill me. And then they have a bit of a conversation that's about the baby. So 100%, I'm not even sure if that does pass the Bechdel test because I do not know the gender of the baby. But basically, it's a conversation between two women. Now, it could be that Fincher set that up. I do not know what mm. happened in reality as to who was the first driver to stop and help that woman. But there is one scene that means... yeah kind of passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. So you were saying? Well, I was just wondering about that scene. Um, it's not definitively stated within the plot. In fact, it's, it, it, in fact, it's, it's left very open mm. as to whether or not that was the Zodiac Killer. Now, the fact that you include it in the film means that there was enough reasoning behind it at the time to think it might be to do with that. But then the film leaves it fairly open. But this just might have been some psycho. On the, on, the, on the highway for all, for all they knew I think that's the message of the film that you can't prove yeah. anything and so Fincher probably took what he thought were exciting murders because there, I think there are five yeah. murders in yeah. the course of the film which the Zodiac Killer attributes or the person writing the letter attributes to themselves yeah yeah. So I think that's how it happens. And it's quite interesting because they're all they're all a little bit different. But the first two are similar because it's two couples who are down a kind of lover's lane thing. And then um, you have the taxi driver as well. There's, also, yeah, there's, di- there's different things. But that's the point. That's the point. Fincher has to carve a movie out of a book that's the existing source material plus what he thinks is interesting. Yeah. And when yeah. you're writing and directing a movie which is about like kind of boring police work police and and uh other detective work 
where you don't have the exciting things. It's not seven. You don't have a nice little week to get it done. And there's a different heinous, disgusting murder that Kevin Spacey's been planning for a year to do. This is more... It's almost like it isn't the anti-seven, isn't it? It's like, right, I gave right. you something schlocky to get my name out there. Well, it is the... You're right. I and mean, now I'm giving yeah. you the passion project, which is this is what it's really like. Yeah. It's scary and a whole other... Unknown. I think you're right. I think it is the anti-seven. I mean, the seven is is a it's a serial killer with a very specific purpose that does things over a very specific time, and at the end of it, there's going to be an end, and and it ends the way it ends. And I think this is the exact opposite. On the on that subject in general, um, I mean, I mentioned I've mentioned before that I think Fincher has a problem with endings. That I think in a lot of his films, he's not quite sure how to end. And this is really hard because there's not. Technically, an well, well I, I would argue. I, I can see his. I can see why he might have been attracted to this as a story because it doesn't, have it doesn't really ending. have an ending. So he's like, well, I don't have to worry about it. It'll just it will just fade away. Then won't we? Yeah. Um. Well, it's got some nice little writing at the end where they try and sum it up. Well, yeah, it's one of those. Endings. They also tried. They also yeah with a, with a with sort of. Wait, it's quite, it, it was almost it's quite depressing. Doesn't say Paul Avery died. With an almost, it was certainly this guy kind of thing. But yeah, but you know, if you're not, if, if no one's ever prosecuted, mm. then it's open. That's it. And, Do and, you can you bear this ending? Um, in as much as the story is true, yes. Um, I think if this was a f- work of fiction, I think it would be um, dissatisfying. <laughs> I think though that David Fincher doesn't care how satisfied you are i think that's part of what makes him good at what he does is that he wants to excite you and he also wants to irritate you mm. which i think is every single film uh, you watch of him. there's nothing wrong with an irritating ending i mean i think i mean i think i think i think i think roman polanski ends his films incredibly irritatingly yeah. but they are still conclusive and they leave an impression on you i just i think that this is a yeah, again, if this had been fiction, would I have been surprised that Fincher ended it this way? Maybe not, because I think this is the way he ends one too many of his films, which is open-ended, don't know, didn't really know what to do with it kind of thing. But mm. um, can't really blame him for a true story, I suppose. No, exactly. Um, so a few things, because we've actually spent quite a lot of time on this film, which I think we're both differing around. Some people think this is a work of genius. I think it is a very good film, but it's not a film I need to watch a lot. Although I have watched it a few times so there must be something about it that brings me back but when you look at the previous four films it's just not the same it's a labor of love so um cgi you are correct Mm. for the aerial taxi shot let's talk a little bit about the women in the film so chloe sevigny plays um uh, robert graysmith's girlfriend then wife and she's kind of sidelined the whole time which to some extent is the point at least she gets a role because mark ruffalo's character has a wife as well but you see her for like two minutes just getting peed off um and there are various female characters who are like the murder victims and things like that it's it's another classic case of where fincher is drawn towards material which highlights more on male characters than female characters i find in in the majority of his filmography it doesn't mean he's rejecting women also his i never feel like he has that much of a male gaze i really want to emphasize like 
it is possible to be this kind of weird pervy filmmaker but actually not be pervy when you're looking through the viewfinder and I don't think I don't think he is I don't ever see him like concentrate on boobs or bums or anything too much women women characters you know sometimes they might be dressed in a short skirt or something but he's not Tarantino you know who really focuses who so has the male gaze it's ridiculous <laughs> and then I watched the other day um Inside Man Spike Lee film which I absolutely love but hadn't watched in a few years and then the male gaze in that film is ridiculous there is even um like Spike Lee has engineered this film so there are only two women in it and they've both got massive boobs and they're both wearing jumpsuits where you see their cleavage and the and that's the point of the film is that one of them might be in on the bank heist for those who don't know Inside Man it's a very good film about heist um, and one of them might be a victim of, of people that they keep um, uh, uh, what do you call it when you keep people hostage um and yeah and he makes a whole scene out of these women and their big boobs whereas david fincher who's accused of all sorts of strange things in his films apart from uh deborah Kara unger and that thing i said in the last episode about looking up her skirt he doesn't have any real pervy way at looking at women which i appreciate however this film is not like any kind of proto-feminist it's almost like gender is nothing to do with it which mm. isn't a bad thing it's just about these characters who yeah. are real and are men mm. yeah end of story yeah anything else to sound safe yet no not particularly right it's me benjamin benjamin Oh my God, of course it's you, Benjamin, how are you, it's been such a long time, there's so much I want to know, when did you get back? Well, I got back a few weeks ago. I spoke to Queenie, she said you were in the war, somewhere at sea, we were so, so worried oh, about I'm you. Oh, I'm okay, well look at you, you're so lovely. David Fincher then decides to uh, take a bit of a Terence Malick and crack on a bit. He's like, I had to wait five years uh, between movies. Oh, he's not in Terence Malick's league in terms of waiting. No, 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 no. I'm saying just cracking on when he realises he needs to get on with it because Zodiac didn't do as well as he probably would have liked considering how well Panic Room did. So he made his next movie in 2008, a mere one year later. Oh, well... Yeah, and what was this film? Is that The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? It is! It's based on a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, so, of course, this is a movie and therefore stretched out a lot more than a short story, but the principles are the same. What did you think of The Curious Case? Um, what did I think of The Curious Case? Uh, it's curious, <laughs> is all I really say about it. I mean, what, what, what's the sort of say about that I, I think there is a degree of fascination factor about watching this unfold as in you you kind of know seeing someone who's old for example have a very high libido and things like this and and see and seeing how that affects them and i think as well that there's an interesting sort of point about being very very old and you know potentially sort of uh, 
senile or something of that nature mm-hmm. versus being very very young and not being able to talk and 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 i think there's a comparison between the two is they are that they're almost in, indistinguishable as far as the, the film plot is concerned um i do think brad pitt is very lovable in it i mean i have to say i think he's a very likable person especially as an old man i think he's you know you, you, old man young boy uh, you, you kind of you kind of really feel for him you, you really want it, want things to work out for him you, you know as, as a as a viewer when I watched it on TV the first time around, I thought it was nothingness. I didn't think it was very good at all. And I thought when we were doing this episode, I had a feeling I would appreciate it more. And I've appreciated it a lot more. But what shocks me about it is that after I've just spent the previous film discussion talking about the lack of emotion that Fincher shows, this film is like 100% emotion. Mm. For one thing, it's the only one that made me cry. I, was, I found it very sad at the beginning. I found it very moving all the way through. I found it very sad and poignant at the end. I agree with you wholeheartedly that Brad Pitt is so winning in this. It's almost like beautiful Brad Pitt is, is almost a distraction. He's more interesting as the little old man growing up Brad Pitt. I think he's very good at these kind of roles, Brad Pitt. He, I think if you put him in a role where he's slightly detached from reality in a sort of slightly childlike <laughs> way, yeah. um, if you put like, you, you could include sort of Meet Joe Black in that as well. He, he, he kind of sort of has a... a, a and 12 Monkeys? Yeah, he, he's just likeable. He's just very lovable in that role. It kind of mm. suits him very well. Mm. Yeah, you're right, actually. But yeah, 12 Monkeys is a bit different because he's a bit crazy. But you're right, Meet Joe Black is just so weird, but you still feel for him. Um... Yeah, he's just, um, his relationships he has with different characters. Because again, Fincher is playing with what age means and what's age appropriate. Mm. Because there are bits obviously where, you know, if we're going down the, you know, what are the strange bits in this film? He, I was trying to work out what age in years Benjamin is when he loses his virginity to a prostitute in somewhere in New Orleans. And I think he's only like 13, 14 but at the same time, if he was a normal, normal, sorry, I shouldn't say that. If he was like a, you know, a, a boy who was actually 14 who looked that, maybe that would happen as well. I don't really, because it's, well, it's set a long time ago. Yeah, so I, think, we I, think say that. I think that's yeah. important. I think that's important. So what, what, what period of time, what war is going on in the middle of the film? So is he, it, he fights in the Is it Japan? Second and it, it's in World, World War, War Yeah, he? World War Two. Yeah. So um, he was probably born between the wars? Because he's an old man, so he's probably in his 20s. Or is it just before the First World War that he's... I I don't know. He plays no part in the First World War. No, he doesn't. Because he is an old man baby. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't remember the exact time frames. That's another thing about watching this film. So much happens in it. He has a very full life. Well, it's it's, it's a sort of... Which I know is the point. I mean, I think that that, there's a sort of idea there that you take a person, a random person, Mm. and you you sort of filter them through various events. Like Forrest Gump? Exactly, like Forrest Gump. But I prefer this film But you just do it it sort of through certain kind of eyes, and Forrest Gump's is kind of like a simpleton's eyes. And this Mm. this is is, the, the unique thing about this is the reverse. Mm-hmm. of you know him being sort of although physically old when he's fighting in the war he's still emotionally quite young so it's um yeah it, 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 that that in of itself observing the historical things that happen and observing how it all plays out is has a certain fascination factor always yeah um i have to say my general view of the film is it's i on I've, I've seen it i think twice now and i think the first time I, th- I thought I saw it, I thought, it's okay. 
It's not bad. But I don't think it's great either. Mm-hmm. This time, maybe it went up at one notch, but I still don't think it's it's brilliant. I think it, it it's. I think it bears repeating. I think yeah, every David Fincher uh, film bears repeating. Now. He's I, I a think, very rewatchable film. I mean, like I, I find it a little. I find it a bit run of the mill. If I'm honest. Yes. Well, that's it's it's. It does feel to some extent it's catering towards um, general appeal in a way maybe Panic Room mm, was talking yeah, about too, but it yeah. didn't actually get that box office numbers, which is quite funny because it has everything about it, which is yeah. like a big film. Like, And I think people were touting it for Oscars and things like that. It did um, get like Titanic and those kind of big blockbuster, you know, blah, blah, you know what I mean? Like coming of age tale. Um, yeah, but it still wasn't... It didn't hit with audiences like it's, other movies do. I mean, it, I think it's a film that's almost um, entirely designed to tug on heartstrings, mm. and I'm a little bit... I'm always a bit suspicious of that. Um, it may double its budget, more than double its budget, but it costs so much. And I think you can see that on screen, but this is one of those things where I don't understand a Hollywood cost-benefit analysis, because I remember watching it on a newer TV, TV now than I had done whatever 10 years ago um it looks fantastic some of the lighting mm. is so good I thought it was fake it might well have been fake I don't know but maybe the, the way he uses CGI is always very clever Fincher um and uh, does, that, does that increase the budget good lighting do you think I think I think so because you know there's quite <laughs> there's quite a lot of um you have cinematographers really, going what if you want the good lighting that's going to cost you an extra million I just million. really think he I think he loves Malik because I, I the, all those sunset and sunrise films, Magic Hour, are just straight out of the Malik playbook. Yeah, I and think there are. There are definitely. I think there are scenes. There are definitely yeah. like scenes that are like. I don't think it's. I don't think it's is. It runs through the core in the same way it does with the Malik film. But no, no, uh, I'm not. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying I see a reverence towards mm. that. There, mm. this this is the most. I think it is the most beautifully shot in terms of just pure visuals of any of his films. And I think that's how you can tell it cost 150 million. But I don't think that equates to it being good. I think it loses something in the desire to make it so picture perfect. Yeah, well, in and the, I don't know what it is because like it's I think still in, the, a good in, the, in the same way that you've got an emotional relationship taking place that is designed, like, like I said, or I believe anyway, designed to tug on heartstrings. I yes. think if you see a sunset, exactly, it's, it's the same kind of thing. I think mm. it, it's a little bit too um, in your face it, yeah. for that. Do you think we can see it? Do you think a Fincher audience is like? You're hitting all these Ron Howard, I don't know. I'm trying well, to think of Spielberg. Yeah. All these big directors who are trying to tug at your heartstrings. And it's like, Fincher, we don't want that from you. We want your dark underbelly. That being said, though, this this it's really weird. It's almost like we're holding it against him. Because if any other director made this film, I think it would be more lauded. Well, I th- well here's the thing. I mean, I, it, it, you, I think you're absolutely right about... You know what, what we what we seem to want from Fincher, but then I I, I can understand how. Well, dire- what I want, yeah. I can understand a director saying, you know what, I want to do something different. That's absolutely fine. Well, I'm given 150 um, million. I'm going to yeah, make this right. crystal clear, right. perfect. But then then you end up with I think a film that you're right. Yeah, it's a film that Ron Howard might have directed, and and that would have been that. And, 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 and it would have. I gone, still think it's better than. And, and, and it would have gone down it. in history as another film Um, and and, and I can't sort of give it any more points just because Fincher directed it I don't think Um, 
I think it is better than that, but I think it's not what we want, and so I'm judging it by different criteria. Mm. I would like to talk about the women in the film now. Yeah. So it's um, where this film really succeeds is it takes some of the female and female relationships from Panic Room. It also takes a romantic love story where there's nothing untoward about it other than Brad Pitt's condition, which is him and Kate Blanchett. There's also a beautiful love affair with a character played by Tilda Swinton in the middle. There's a wonderful relationship between Benjamin and the, his mum, played by Taraji P. Henson, um, who is a maid or housekeeper or, or runs the... Does she eventually run the... I think she runs it. Home, yeah, but I don't think she... I don't know if she did from the start. Maybe she did, and that's my prejudice. But um, uh, a relationship there. There's a nice relationship with the character played by Mahershala Ali, who is kind of Taraji's character's boyfriend, husband. I don't know. Um, There's a lot of interesting actors in this film who are now very famous, or even were very famous at the time, who get a lot of screen time to do something interesting with what they have. Yeah. There are some great female relationships. I haven't even mentioned Kate Blanchett as an old woman and her daughter, Julia Ormond? Is that who uh, yes. Is? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's a whole big chunk of the movie, which is them talking to each other, although a lot of the time it doesn't pass the Bechdel test because they're talking about Benjamin Button. But um, they're, they're on screen just talking about, and she is dying, Kate Blanchett, very old, and she she is revealing to Julia Mon who her actual father is, her real-life father. So um, I can't fault Fincher because it passes the Bechdel test. It has lots of female characters who are imperative to the plot and have are all different and have rounded experiences. What did you think about the women around Benjamin Button. No, they're, they're, from the word go, he, <clears throat> he's presented with these um, strong women, isn't he? Um, all around him that sort of dictate who, who he becomes. <laughs> yeah. um, they probably influence him more than anything, really. And there's also Jared Harris's character, I'd say, is a, who's the Irish sailor. He's quite yeah. an influence as well. But um, yeah, I'd say Benjamin is an incredibly well-mannered character. Well, he's like a sponge, isn't he? He, he, he essentially <laughs> just soaks up all these influences around him. Um, and if they're good influences, which they are, then then he, he turns out to be a very good person as a result. But I don't think he ever... He's never a bad person. Even when it's a bad influence, it's normally just he gets drunk or he falls over or something like that. It's never... Do you know what I mean? I just, I just think that he... He just grows up as not having a bad bone in his body, but he isn't irritating with it. Because you could... I, I, I'm now starting to realise how much this is probably an homage to Forrest Gump, and I've only just realised this. But I think this is a better film, and I know people love Forrest Gump, but I don't really like it because I think it's very twee, and I think the more you watch that film, the more you realise there's some bad stuff going on. Um, whereas in this film, the more you watch it, the more you realise that Finch's, Fincher is poking fun or even digging at all of us by saying you need to stop being so obsessed with age and what someone should do at a certain age and what they should be capable of it's it's entirely a film about a person who is constantly judged it and it, it can also be seen as a, a film about disability yeah. as well yeah. particularly at the beginning like I'm, i i don't know if they did but it almost feels like they might have hired 
a person who has a condition, I don't know if it's spina bifida or something like that, you know the bit where yeah. he has the crutches that he's no walking idea. on. I've seen people in real life who obviously, you know, have a disability um, uh, w- with that. And I just think um, it's, it's, a, it's a really good mirror to what the normal person, in inverted commas, thinks is correct about society and what and how people should behave whereas I think a lot of his other films are about people doing things which I think are probably outside of acceptable norms like mm. murdering people or attacking <laughs> people or all the stuff that happens in seven yeah um there are you know there there are people who I think you can say are bad guys mm. but I actually think Benjamin Button is about how everyone is a bad guy and we all make judgments we're not that level of bad bad guy but all the way through it i just thought wow people are so unintentionally cruel um partially i i i i, th- I thought it was more to do with the, the people that he encounters are not any of them necessarily bad no 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 not and, the people and they he and they all have generally. and they all have a, a kind of lesson to teach him but they're also not perfect either um and he kind of sees through their their sees through their, their flaws as human beings and, and appreciates the good things about them. I think more than anything else, he's able to see the good in everybody. But I don't even know if he sees through people's sees through people's flaws. I'm not even sure he understands what a flaw is. Well, there's Do you the, see what I mean? Well, the flaw, the, the yeah. idea is that flaws are something that society has told you, this is bad, this is good. But he doesn't have that experience that so he brings his own fresh take well, on Well, there's an, an innocence to yeah. it, absolutely. Um, and he doesn't seem to care. Um, I, I, I think he's sort of... Un, I, I think you're right. He's definitely unbound by um, social conventions. Mm. But that is owing... And I think that's owing to the way he's been raised in this very unusual environment and in a very, yes, mu- a very multiracial people. environment. Yes. And he ends up working... Yeah. In, in in jobs which he's just appreciative of the work. He doesn't even really care about, about how bad the work is mm. or how the perception of how bad it is. Mm. Um, and and I suppose it's, it's that level of innocence. Um, yeah, that, and which, which, is, which is quite nice to There's see. two things you said that I want to pick up. The first one, yes. The, Fincher obviously is respectful of his elders. He makes it very clear that all these people with their different quirks are they almost have a serenity in the home in fact maybe maybe i'm looking at it in the wrong way and maybe it's um it's making like old people's homes look like the most fun and happy places when we all know that's not necessarily the case particularly these days um but he definitely thinks that like he he appreciates people being wise Mm. um and i suppose if you surround yourself by wise people through your formative years you become wise. So I suppose yeah. maybe that's that. Maybe that is and maybe it. older people don't judge as much. But again, you normally get your old granddad or grandma is like a racist or something. So I don't know whether that's true either. Which brings me to my second point, which is race relations. David Fincher has films full of white people in general. As far as Whitaker, can we think of anyone else? <laughs> I'm not sure. Nobody in set. Oh, Morgan Freeman. I forgot Morgan Freeman. So there's a person of colour. But um, in general, the vast majority of people in his films are white. And Curious Case doesn't make any... You kind of mentioned this. Any kind of racial discrimination. You said he's yeah. multiracial. Like, no one in the home who are all white 
make any derogatory comments to, no. for want of a better word, the help or Taraji's running the home. Mm. And, I, and, and in fact, this is one of those things again where I don't know if it's good or I don't know if it's bad. In a way, it's good. Brings to our attention Mahershala Ali and Taraji B. Henson as great actors. It gives them not a starring role, but a quite, but quite, quite firstly, Taraji, quite good um, supporting role. But at the same point, it also glosses over what must have been quite a lot of racism in that time in New Orleans. Uh yes, absolutely. I, I could he have gone in? Could he have gone there, David Fincher? Yeah, I suppose he could. Might have been interesting. He uh, never has, though. He never no. has. When a, he sees everybody equally, I think he's probably not a racist person at all. But the problem is, is that are you making a film in a perfect society, or are you making a film it's in a good the point, real uh, world? It's a good point. It might have been an interesting sort of point to have uh, a, a, a route to have taken, at least on a sort of one plot basis, to uh, at least investigate that. And uh, you, you kind of feel he's got a, lots of time in his yeah, films. and you kind of feel as though you know it, it would have been a good lesson for him to learn early doors um, the, the 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 dangers of sort of institutionalized racism. Yeah, like there's nothing in the police force. Yeah. In, to be honest, though, Fincher films don't... They're, they're moving too quickly in general, especially the a type of film like Seven, to constant... They're not interested in bureaucracy. He made Zodiac, which is an entire film about bureaucracy, mm. but that wasn't to do with... It would have been interesting if the Zodiac killer had been identified as black. Yeah. The fact is... The, all the people they sought out for it, I think, were, were all white. Yeah, I think they were. So race never had to come into it, and no one ever mentioned it. But it wouldn't surprise me if, at some point during the investigation of Zodiac, someone said, oh, he's a killer, is he black? Do you see, do you see what I mean? Because of the you know racial mm. uh, potential issues there um, back in the 70s in America. Um, but in this film, yeah, it, look, he hires them... We're two white people. I don't want to talk too much about, you know, it's not for me to say what's the right way to depict a, person, a non-white person on camera. So I think it was good that he had them in a role because that could easily have been a film entirely about white people in Louisiana. Is it Louisiana? It is Louisiana. Yeah, which wouldn't have been yeah. representative. Um, yeah, so curious is a good word for the curious case of <laughs> Benjamin Button. I think that it doesn't quite work, and I don't know why, because looking at everything individually, so colour, he's got he's gone light he's gone light again. There's some dark. He likes yellow a lot in this film. Yellow's probably the overriding colour of like firelight or like the old school overhead lights. But he also likes magic hour sunsets. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more colour. There's still no red. Still no red. But there's a lot more colour in this. Um, he's definitely a bit... He's a bit happier. These two films are a bit happier just in the, in the pure lighting, not necessarily the subject matter. Um, puzzle solving. Ooh, this is an interesting one because there's a puzzle laid out on the table, which is, is this even possible for Brad to have this condition and for this to happen? So, but no one's trying to solve the puzzle. No, not even just... Brad. He's not. Benjamin's not. Doesn't he's accepted himself? I don't even know if it's presented as a puzzle. I think it's just a case. No, of, I'm just um, trying to make this work for my his, categories. His, 
here's a condition. That's all it really yeah. sort of amounts to. And and here's and here's what effect it has on you or or not, as the case may be. Yeah. But the thing about the condition is that Fincher does it in such a way that it's completely believable. Once you accept it, that it could be anything. He could be blind. He, yeah. he could have a he could have a disability of some kind. Yeah. Um, and it does make for. I did think all the way through what is going to happen when he dies. Does he then end up becoming a fetus and then he disappears into nothing? But he doesn't. He becomes a baby. And then just dies? Uh, or disappears or something. Does he disappear? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's quite good because that is what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd forgotten that. I think I was too busy crying. <laughs> <laughs> because um, there's, there's a really interesting dynamic about um, Kate Blanchett's role in the movie. This young girl and then she, she's this beautiful dancer and then she doesn't want to be with him at one point because he seems like an old man. She wants to be young and have fun. And then she loses the ability to dance and um, that's when they can build a life. And then she... It's very well played, the fact that you're kind of, as an audience member, or I found that you don't really want him to age. You want him to kind of stay the same as her <laughs> and them to be happy. And then you can tell it's always, always coming. And what's interesting about Brad's Benjamin is that Benjamin always knows mm. what's going to happen. Although I still, my, my one criticism is that he leaves his newborn daughter far earlier than he needed to. He's yeah, like, I'm not going to be bit, very good. And I'm like, quick. you could have given her 10 years Yeah, he's a, dad. a bit quick to the jump on that, isn't he? Yeah. I thought that too. He do, I think, he, I think the, the idea is he doesn't want her to remember him at all. But then he's like, don't worry, Kay, you're lovely. You'll find someone else. And I'm like, tell that to any divorced, single parent <laughs> woman. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, yes, in the, I, I think the most unbelievable thing of that film is how a divorced, single mother can suddenly find someone else straight away. Forget Brad's condition. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on? No, not these films aren't grabbing you, are they? I don't Do you feel like he's he's past I, his prime now. No, I don't think. Well, because I, I, there's more coming. I don't think. Uh, I don't think either of the, these two films, Zodiac or The Curious Case, are yeah. are, are, are in my top Fincher films. Um, doesn't mean he's past his best by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, again, I, I, my my over. To repeat my overriding kind of yeah. is, uh, thought about this film is run of the mill. Fair enough. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be. Okay, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. You're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. Because you're an asshole. We're now at 2010. It has been two years since the curious case of Benjamin Button and David Fincher makes. Um, is that a social network? Yes, you're very good at the order of these. The screenplay is written by Aaron Sorkin and um, it has a really, really good soundtrack which I listen to a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, please tell me the names, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. This is a movie which is basically about a geeky guy who wants to get revenge on a woman and screw over everybody. Because there are bits of it that are true. So 
what yeah you didn't I think I think I mean like I was sort of reading into it um after the fact and and most people who are involved in this be it Mark Zuckerberg himself or um Eduardo Severin Severin I think his name is um and the the Winklevosses and uh um Sean Parker have always said it was nothing like that nothing like that at all that doesn't mean that it's not interesting to watch, and one wonders why, given that it's, you know, given how much fiction seems to exist in it, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't subjected to lawsuits. So I keep wondering this, but um, uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't mean it's not entertaining. Um, Do you not like the? Because I think the legal depositions are some of the best. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking film. about the. I'm just talking about why why the film itself was not. Um, oh, sorry. Right. Um, given given the the level of, of of fiction that exists in it, and given the fact that it, it's not the most complimentary, particularly to Zuckerberg, it it, it kind of. I I would argue. I think we've discussed this before, but I would argue. I don't think we have on that, that Many people's opinion of Mark Zuckerberg now is almost entirely determined by the social network, the film, that they think he was really like that. Now, I don't know what... I don't think that's why people Uh, hate him now, but anyway. I don't know what Mark Zuckerberg... After the film came I don't know what Mark Zuckerberg (laughs) is really like, but but I have to say my my, my feeling deep down is Mm. it's something like... You know, something like the social network, which is why there should be a social network too. I mean, he may he, he, look. He may be. I I, 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 I have network. no idea, but he may not be particularly likable for a variety of other reasons. That, that, that he may, but he may also yes. be nothing like that person. But I, but I still think that's that's the way he probably is. Him. Nothing like that person. Um, he, he's in, he's been in a long term. He's it, married. It, he's got kids. I mean, it, it, he's been in a long term relationship for years. Yeah, it's this idea of this person who is has a. A, a ridiculously annoying superiority complex um, to such an extent that they mm. alienate virtually everyone they come across. But because they're brilliant, they can get away with it. Um, and as that, that's exactly... Well, he's also very entertaining and witty, the, the um, Zuckerberg in the film. Yeah, yeah. Because his put-downs are great. They are. Hate him all you want. His put-downs are amazing. They are, yeah. <laughs> um, Although everyone's put-downs are good in I, I think I think when you're when you're talking about things like um, big big uh, IT businesses like this I suspect that the rea- the cold reality is a lot of sat at computers coding and not doing a lot more and it being rather boring it's a hell of a lot more interesting if you if you throw hmm. in other things in there um, I do think the the flashback the the flashback lawsuit thing works quite well I think that's a good a good structure like and two lawsuits at the same time yeah, um, is only someone like Aaron Sorkin could write something so um, clever and make it still easy enough to follow. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I think rewatching it, I enjoyed it and I appreciated the script a lot more. But I also appreciated how... Fincher and his editor cut the film because I think that this film is is all about how it's edited because mm-hmm. there are all sorts of events that happen and I'm guessing Fincher had to choose what order to put them in and how to film them and how to keep the pace going. Like yeah. Aaron Sorkin is is part of that absolutely. But particularly, you know, the dialogue. But I think it's the filmmaker who decides the pace of a movie, the visuals that go with all of those words. 
and I think that it's a perfect mix of a really good screenwriter and a really good director who likes making films about nasty people. Uh, yeah, um, it's not it's not too much. I mean, everyone's slightly annoying in it. Everyone's a bit of an arsehole in this film. Well, I, I there's a definitely a kind of elitist university college thing going on, which is quite funny because I suspect Sorkin and Fincher probably went to elite colleges. I have no idea. And they definitely come from those rarefied worlds. But um, Sorkin's always got an issue, he does this in the West Wing as well, where he wants everyone to be really, really qualified and go to the best places and get the best degrees and have the best grades for everything. But then he he simultaneously wavers between them being humble and being obsessed with telling everyone about it. Mm. Like, I don't know, because obviously you went to college in the States, I don't know if how this was for you, but over here, when I went to university, there's a running joke that if someone went to Oxford or Cambridge they would tell you at some point when you first met them. And there's the same joke in the social network, I think, about Harvard. It's uh, like normally yeah. people, I can people say that. it. Yeah, and there's something about these elite universities and how people have to talk about it because it's their badge of validation. Yeah, And I think that Fincher nails that in a way that Sorkin doesn't because Sorkin still reveres that. I'm not sure... Hmm. You know, we talked about class again. Oh, we haven't gone back to class check. So, um, where did we start? Zodiac. Hmm. Zodiac is about working class people, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone? There is no one wealthy. No. No. Even, like, you know, Paul Avery's just a crazy bohemian who lives on a boat. You know, <laughs> he's not... You know, he might... Yeah. I think Downey comes across always as quite middle-class yeah, aristocratic yeah. in his own like um special way but that is a film i'd say about determined working class people curious case also about working class people yeah yeah, yeah basically i mean she there's kate blanchett's a kate blanchett, yeah kate blanchett kind of is is upwardly mobile because she, but, she? But, um, but through creative arts yeah through become, creative arts yeah. she's definitely taking well also her, there are wealthy families in louisiana there she's, is that she's definitely taking southern charm she, she's definitely taking a different kind of tack mm. through life which is which is a sort of slightly more bohemian sort of take on things but probably financed by actual family yeah. money yeah true but Benjamin Button poor as the gum left yeah. on a doorstep makes yeah. his way doesn't ever have anything actually. not really he travels a lot and I think he gets his thing from experience but actually he never really has anything he only that's really his has currency a, experience yeah he only has a small house doesn't he an apartment and a small house of Blanchett so okay so we're, we're on we're on basically working-ish class give yeah. or take some family money um, but Tilda Swinton is very rich because she's the wife of an attaché or something mm. isn't she so I suppose it's her but that's more of an experience yeah. he has it's not I'd say it's a film about working class people um, and then here we are now on the opposite well, end we well, are basically because it, it, well, you can get a scholarship but the majority of people no I think everyone in that film it, Rooney Mara I don't even know is probably still quite well off even though he just has a go at her all the way through saying you went, you go to Boston well, University you're, think, you're so stupid I think what you've got here is, is um, a clash of um, the old the old kind of uh, moneyed institutions, which I think that the sort of the Winklevosses kind of represent, and and it's the sort of thing that that is the kind of character that uh, 
Jodie Foster played in uh, Panic Room, and it's the kind of character that Michael Douglas plays in the game. It's, it's that that sort of moneyed history. Family money. Family money. Family money still does appear. Um, yeah. Versus new money, yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, which which doesn't have any strings attached to mm-hmm. it in terms of ex- expectation of behaviour or anything else, and furthermore, ends up being you know potentially and, and in fact does ten a hundred times more more wealth than than the existing than the existing institutions of wealth have. I mean, people like Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and people like that mm-hmm. are, are multi, multi-billionaires, richest people in the world. Yeah, but they started uh, off as they're not self-made. poverty. Yeah, but not, yeah. no, 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 no. Well, they're maybe. self-made and they're self-made. Like, um, yes, they're now billionaires because they did it themselves, but they didn't start on the streets. No. Uh, they start you in order. No. Yeah, very few but people start from nothing. No, like but they're even not. Steve but they're Jobs not. But, the, bit, but they're not. Sort of. The, the, the point is here is is that this to me is is a sort of the tail between or the, the dichotomy between existing old money and new money. Yeah, I, it's, I I slightly agree, but I don't think it's cut and dried because I think it's not about nouveau riche. It's about where money comes from. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? It's not about like the Kardashians. He's not a Kardashian, which is like, you know, making all your m- money from reality TV, let's say. No, I think the issue is, is that the old families feel like they should always be in charge of the wealth, no matter how it's created. It starts with him trying to get into those old frat clubs which I kind of looked up, which sounds dubious as anything. <laughs> They're not even, some of them are not yeah. recognised because they won't, um, uh, interestingly enough for this podcast, they won't allow women members. So the only ones that are recognised by Harvard in today's day and age are the ones that are gender blind. And I don't know what that means for trans people or for um, the non-binary. Sor- the sororities have to be like kind of... Sort of but they're not they're, they're not sororities or fraternities oh, they're right. called something else or something club oh, it's, okay. it's like right. a fraternity right. but um no for some reason they're kind of all right but i don't know maybe maybe now someone could bring a case that says i'm a boy and i want to be part of a sorority you can't stop me based on gender you know rbg's dead now <laughs> so ruth can't fight this for the rest of us um but yeah i don't know what happens if someone's non-binary you like you're not letting me in the club. Uh, who knows? But I never said who I knows? wasn't a man. I'm just my gender is my own business. Um, yes, you are right. That is again one thing which is probably not correct. So Rooney Mara, the girlfriend who spurns um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg Zuckerberg, that's not true probably. And his desperate need to be accepted by old money. Yeah, your, I, sus- I, sus- I Yes, I suspect is yeah. is a complete fabrication. Yeah. Uh, but but because um, I can't believe Mark Zuckerberg sat yeah. there in his Harvard dorm, desperate to be in one of these these clubs. I just I just don't believe it. But there you are. No, there is there is also this dichotomy between being a geek, and if you think of all the stuff that's happened with Gamergate and all of the things now, like you said about Jeff Bezos and all those people, the the you know again everything I do in this podcast is in inverted commas. The geeks are now the most powerful people in the world, whereas the, the word, you know, a derogatory term, is just about someone who sits at their computer all day and apparently can't talk to people. Mm. And I think that maybe, you know, Aaron Sorkin isn't a young man. David Fincher isn't a young man, but I still feel like he's got a bit more in tune with the youth of today. We talked quite a lot about class, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked about the women in the social network. Do you even know who the women are? 
female characters, name them in the social network. I don't know if I, if I can. I'm really sorry. Is that part of the problem? Possibly. Or is it just a very... Uh, is it, are all the protagonists effectively male? I'd say, yeah, protagonists, yeah. The main characters, antagonists as well, if you're using well, Sean yeah. Parker as that. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and also it's about real people. Mm. And so, therefore, the real people who founded Facebook were all men. However, there are some female characters There are. Um, they're, they're generally, I wouldn't, maybe slightly more than bit part, but the, the, they're a bit in the background, aren't they? Yeah, this film is not really doing well by the women but that's again the theme running through this episode of the podcast is that fincher picks subjects he likes and a lot of the time but not always they have a lot of male characters in them and he's a man so i suppose you know i think it's a trick what directors yeah, do it's a hard one this one because ultimately if you want to make a film about the creation of facebook or any if you're doing it about any tech industry any element of the tech industry the odds are it's going to be male-dominated. Um, maybe, maybe that's actually... Not nowadays. Well, I think it's changed a little bit since... Well, maybe that's actually... the. Yeah, maybe you should actually say, well, is, is, Fincher, is it unfair for Fincher to reflect that? Or should, actually, should you be looking at why more women are not involved at the high end, at the sharp end of the tech industry? Yeah, it should definitely be looked at, but that's not, I suppose, Sorkin or Fincher's job hmm. here. Okay, I'll read out some names. Okay. Rooney Mara. So she plays Erica Albright, which is the fictitious ex-girlfriend. She She's did. most famous for the, yeah. being in the start of the movie, so she does have some good put-downs, and then she appears sporadically a couple of times. It's not a lot, though, is it, really? No, she's the she's the kind of jumping-off point. Yeah. She's a part in the middle where um, Zuckerberg is finding it hard to apologise, and I, I presume that scene is to demonstrate that that he's still the arrogant person or the asshole as she says and then she's also even mentioned but not even there in the end when he's refreshing trying to get her to be his friend as the last act of the film yeah so you could say that she has like um a prominent shadow over the film but isn't very prominent within it is the insinuation there by the way that 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 Mark, well, is the film trying to suggest that Mark Zuckerberg's entire reason for creating all of this was purely to sort of gain her approval? Yes, well, that's what I take from it. Like you've said with other aspects of the film, I don't believe it's true. Mm. But yes, that's how Sorkin has put it in his script. And I think this is mm. a scriptwriter thing, which, to be honest, I haven't really mentioned in a lot of the other films we've looked at so I'm being a bit unfair maybe closer scrutiny because Aaron Sorkin is so famous um but Fincher decided to go with that as well um yeah the whole thing seems to be just a battle between people and it was definitely this whole like rules of attraction or American Psycho you know that kind of women versus men sexual warfare I don't know or or is it or is it well maybe or is it kind of (laughs) Like uh, something that was in Zuckerberg's mind that really didn't have any effect on anybody else, but just seemed to um, drive him. In, in, in other words, a very small and seemingly insignificant incident having a pretty macro-sized effect on history. 
not necessarily insignificant. If he liked her and she dumped him and called him a horrible person, that's probably still quite significant to a to him, yeah, student to him. But would would, yeah. he, would you not just get over that? <laughs> well, or you create Facebook, you know. Yeah, I've you know I've asked girls well, out and been dumped. <laughs> I can honestly say that it didn't dictate the rest yeah, of my life. Yeah, we've all been dumped. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but you could. It, it's the it's considered the catalyst in the movie. Mm. That that doesn't necessarily mean it has any more importance than that night he was in a bad mood. We're literally talking as well about the first five minutes of the mm. movie. Mm. The rest of it isn't even about that. So yes, Rooney Mara when she's on screen. I think she's fantastic and we will find out shortly that David Fincher also thought that um and then again like I'm struggling here so there's Brenda Song she plays Christy she was um Saverin's girlfriend who goes a bit mad and yeah, burns not, not, the stuff in not the bin the, uh, not the, that's what she's famous not for not the kindest portrayal of uh, of girlfriend that was no it. that I'd say I have much bigger problems with her. in fact to be honest mostly in that scene there are a couple of things where he hints that oh she's a bit crazy but it that scene is just stupid but then again at the same time, like, Social Network is a film about intense human emotions, which is quite hilarious when you think it's about the creation of a website. You know, normally those things aren't so um, interwoven. And I think it is fair to say that women can get angry and act out. So she could do that, but I just don't think the groundwork was laid well, it's a bit, to establish yeah. her as that person. Yeah, she right. seemed perfectly lovely, and then apparently she's a psycho. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that they've just um, painted paint that they've come up with the, the the stereotypical slightly crazy girlfriend, haven't they? You're right; she doesn't really. Ad- ad- she's not in it enough to warrant that. She just serves a purpose, being the slightly possessive girlfriend who then goes a bit crazy, and the, and then the slightly weak. Andrew Garfield geek can't quite get rid of her but does in the end but he's but he's you know he's under her thumb that kind of it's not mm, it's a bit of a cheap shot isn't it well let's go to the next character and then I'll, I'll, I'll I agree then I think I'll really I'll create a theory on this so the next character I thought of because she's famous now and she wasn't famous to me when I first saw the film which was when Dakota Johnson is on screen yeah and she obviously is like the one night stand or what have you of Justin Timberlake, Sean Parker. Yeah. And it's quite a memorable scene, but she's used as exposition and she's in a pants. And you can argue that that's actually, like, normal for the, the setup of the scene. I get that. But I, when I did some reading up on this, it wasn't exactly as, as made like that. Like, Fincher sexed it up a bit. He definitely saw Facebook on a laptop, which I think belonged to her... Um, flatmate or something like that so that actual that is an actual fact yeah in a story which we're not sure how heavy it is on facts um but that whole scene is and my theory is that women are used in the social network as a catalyst for a male character's next steps so you have um uh, Rooney Mara, Erica at the start, the revenge narrative. Then you have Christy as, look at me, I developed this algorithm and now I can get hot girls. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, bitches be crazy or whatever it is that they that mm-hmm. this. And then Dakota Johnson is uh, exposition girl. She does it fantastically, but basically she's just asking, her and Sean Parker are just asking questions to each other. It's a pointless scene. I like it, but it has no value. Yeah. And then the final one, I think, is Rashida Jones. I think she plays 
Does she not play the lawyer? Oh, is that yeah? At the end, who just at the end is so you you have you have a couple of other lawyers actually. I think there's um says here Melise Jow as Alice Cantwell. Is she the other? I don't even know the names of the. Oh no, Gretchen is that? I don't know. This is the problem. Rashida Jones plays Mary Lynn Delpy. Okay, great. So that is true. And she is a. She ends up. We think she's just a low-level lawyer, and there's definitely some sexism or an idea of sexism played into who is this woman in a skirt who's just sitting at this table not saying anything, and then her role turns out to be as a jury selection specialist. Or I think that's part of it, and. Um, yeah, she's just saying, you're quite callous, you won't look very sympathetic, so yeah, settle yeah. this now. Um, but it's kind of good, it's a little bit of a twist in a film and it gets put under the carpet because it's got nothing to really do with the actual thing. But I quite liked her being there. So what do you think about the female characters now? I've told you who they are. Does it mean anything to you? <laughs> no, nah, come on, they're not. they're not... They're not at the forefront of the film, are they at all? But again, I don't, I don't think you can really blame Fincher for that. If if the main protagonists are male, then the main protagonists are male. Um, yeah, could have had no women in this at yeah. all. Well, I, the, some of the lawyers were, you know, in reality. So I presume that they play them to the same. Gender. I think it's curious that, that a lot of them are used as muses uh, in a way yeah. uh, to to drive people on. Um, there's a sort of in inbuilt suggestion at some level, that everything that Zuckerberg does and everything that everyone does is driven by a desire to be liked by women in some respect. Everything that a college boy yeah. does, a straight college dude does. Mm. This is So we've talked about class, we've talked about women to the extent that we can. I'd love to talk more about it, but I just don't think there's enough to say. We agree, they're a catalyst for male action. Um, three... There's no suggestion that anyone's other than deeply heterosexual in this film. Yeah, well... So, and that may well be the case, but, um, you know, there's no even insinuation that maybe things could be done. And even then, even if you're gay, like, that's not like some kind of excuse that you could make something... You know, like... Fincher makes this film as if sexuality is key to every decision mm. or sexual feelings. Well, you okay, know, well yeah. I think, I mean, I, I, yeah, he does. And I think he goes one, one better than that, though. I think <laughs> it goes to the extent of a, a minor sort of brush off from someone that, to be honest with you, most people would just get over and ignore or ignore becomes, becomes a, a, a much more sort of macro-historical event but you, that's unknown at the time and unknown to anybody other than, than the person that's affected by it. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few other films that have done that but it, it's, it's, this is, I don't think we've seen it to this extent. Yeah. Okay, so I think our last check-in is style of the film and colour. So I do think it's quite dark and set at night <laughs> a lot, um, which frat parties often are and a lot of socialising at college is so that's fair I also think that a lot of the depositions if I remember rightly are in rooms where you can't really tell what time of day it is yeah well they're windowless um, they might not be I just can't even remember I don't really think right. to be honest with you night, night or day in this film I find to be 
I don't know how, how you found it, but I thought it was somewhat irrelevant. It is, yeah, yeah, but but it's it's normally it's not like Seven or or Fight Club where it's much more driven by darkness. I would say. Yeah, well, there's the rowing. The rowing scene um, is outdoors, and even then, it's not a very nice day, which is probably right for like Henley. Um, but yeah, the majority of this film it has a night and darkness feel. And it also has that kind of neony as well, or like indoorsy light. It's not Benjamin Button with these lovely sunrises yeah. and sunsets. He did that for one film only. <laughs> did Fincher? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I, I, the, the, all I'd say about it is it, um, nondescript to me. I, I, I mean, for me, it's not something that really leaps out at me no matter mm-hmm. what. Um, it, it, it's not. It's it just. It's not that kind of film. I don't mm-hmm. think. It's just. It's. It's the kind of film where you're supposed to be. Much more heavily involved in the plot and 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 how that how that sort of evolves. yeah it's about people and talking yeah. and machines yeah. Yeah. so you don't need to think about yeah. sunlight. That's why I'm saying I, I, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, how much of it is in the day night? What colour schemes? Are you, I, I don't know. I can't really recall it having a massive. So it doesn't even on have me. one. Either, well, it I, might do. Just I don't know. I'd say a little bit dark green. Yeah, but. Um, I'm I'm like clutching at straws there. <laughs> it's a night. Yeah, we'll say it has a feeling of night. But even going further yeah. to your point, it it it's in people's heads. Yeah, it, it's the the actual setting isn't that important. Like you just think, yeah, there's there's like a couple of ballrooms where they have parties. There's like frat parties in buildings, pa- wood panelled offices. Yeah, it's just the interiors of the rich and famous. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's that important. Yeah. I didn't look it up in terms of the Bechdel test because I... uh, What will normally happen is you you can normally pass one or two limbs of the test and then you don't pass the third. And um, to remind people, the test, uh, the three limbs of the Bechdel test are you have to have two women on screen who are named characters talking about something other than a man, with that third limb being the one that I don't think it passes. You do have Christy and her friend on screen talking. They're the only two girls I can think of that speak to each other, except for maybe a couple of girls at parties. But then most of the time they're talking about Zuckerberg or something like that. If it does pass, I don't think this makes this a feminist <laughs> yeah, icon. Well. Nonetheless, it is a brilliant, talky film which captures a subject that could be so boring and would not make such an exciting film and that's testament to Fincher's direction mm. yeah um what do I really think about it I, I, I don't know I mean it's, it, it it has a fascination factor I think whenever you whenever you're talking about something which everybody is familiar with and everyone has a preconceived view of it as well and you play it out in a, what I still believe to be a largely fictitious um plot um it's uh, it's just interesting, intriguing to watch. Hmm. Social network, mm. not good for women, intriguing. Yeah. I guess I must have alarmed you turning up like if that. If you touch me, I'm not going to alarm you. That won't be necessary. Your report, very detailed. Just for me, it wasn't very entertaining. It wasn't meant to be. I'm going to tell you a story, and if it entertains you, maybe you'll decide to help me research further, and if not... I'll do the washing up and you'll never see me again. You know, you should eat What kind of research? Elizabeth. Um, can I call you Elizabeth? I want you to help me catch a killer of women. Now, you chastised me for this earlier when Did I said I? that Fincher was like Malik. 
Um, <laughs> but in 2011, yeah. a mere one year later, a mere one year later. yeah, uh, Fincher made his next movie, which was... Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yes! Yeah. Probably the closest fit to a similar film to Seven. So he's kind of come full yeah. circle. It's not yeah. the same, but he's gone yeah, back right. to yeah. solving a crime. Mm. Um, what did you think of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? You saw it when it came out? Um, no, I didn't. I saw it about two years ago. Because it was available on TV. Yeah, it was probably available on TV before then, to be yeah. perfectly honest. But um, I just never got around to, to watching it for whatever one reason or another. But you didn't have any desire to see it at the cinema? No, but... It, well, not particularly. But it, it, it's, it's not a film... It, it's a film that I would always kind of watch. You know, it, it has a sort of... A certain uh, thriller element to it that I'm always I'm always sort of um, partial to, but at the same time, it it was just one of those films that I was eventually going to watch. It was just a question of when. That was all. Have you seen any of these films on this podcast episode at the cinema when they came Ooh, out? Ooh, that's a really good question. So it's Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. No. So you took nosedive after. Um, Fight Club. Fincher was not necessarily making those groundbreaking, uh, male-heavy. Well, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I I, I'm probably story. not. I'm probably not the the guy. Stop to, punching yourself, Nick! Oh my god! I'm probably not the guy to. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not a good uh, cross section, shall we say, of of people there. Because a director doesn't. Um, a director isn't enough to make you want to go and see. Like the, you know, the fact well, that a new film well, by I mean, David Fincher um, without, is without wishing to sort of oversimplify, I just wasn't really going out and watching too many movies in that particular period. I was tending right. to stay home and watch them. That was all. Um, yeah, but ten years ago, we didn't have yeah. the access. I would have said. Um, no, true. We didn't have streaming services. True, in true, true, same. true. Um, no, that's true. But I didn't. I don't know. I wasn't in a yeah. cinema going. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds accusatory because I feel <laughs> the same way. I feel like I didn't see this. I didn't see Benjamin Button. Yeah. I might have seen Zodiac. I didn't see Panic Room. Um, I did see the Social Network. So for me, it had to be a big enough. Yeah, I didn't even see movie. the Social Network, and that was quite a big deal. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's something there where. He com- Fincher commanded up until the early two thousands people going to the cinema to watch his films, and then I think even though his films probably were more successful financially, with you and I, we wanted to we weren't so desperate to see them when they came out. You know, given a choice of four or five films to go and see at the cinema, would I pick that particular one? Probably not. It's a sort of film that I would always prefer to just sit at home and watch. Let me ask you another question. It's yeah. off the top of your head. Yeah. Can you think of in recent years thrillers that you've seen at the cinema? Ooh, good question. That you've wanted thrillers to see at the cinema. Do you know? I don't because know. I think there's a lost art. Do, do of you know? The maybe not. You might be right there. Thriller. You might be right there. Or maybe, or maybe I'm, or maybe I'm just. Like if I go to the cinema, I kind of want to be wowed a bit. So I'm, I'm more likely to do it for a big uh, special effects bonanza. Uh, like, well, Marvel came along. Well, Marvel so that, came that, along. That yeah, that kind of ruled most of um, the last fifteen years. Yeah. So and what? and those kind of we always say Marvel, but you know DC. Yeah. Well, what year was Transformers? Like big, big. What year was uh, Girl the Dragon Tattoo? Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. So I don't know. We're in Mar- We're in MCU territory at this point, aren't we? Uh, so, yes. 
We're in the kind of middle phase. We're probably phase two. So let's say what, Captain America or something like yes, that? Yes, Captain or... America. Yeah, I think when's Winter Soldier? No, Winter Soldier's not until like... Uh, yeah. Probably 14. I mean, I have actually. to say, if I saw two... Wait, to what, would, would, I think, it, did it start in the early 2000s? I yeah. if, I, if I saw two films um, and one of them, you know, mm-hmm. advertised and one of them was Captain America and one of the girl with a dragon tattoo, mm. I'm probably going to go and see Captain America at the cinema. Mm. It's just a more cinematic experience. Yeah, definitely. Right. But you weren't necessarily seeing this. And what's interesting about the girl with the dragon tattoo is that it was a co-pro between US, UK and Sweden. Yeah. So if anything, it should have been pushed more to us. I'm not entirely sure it was. I wonder if it's because there was the Swedish version first. Mm. And, you know, sweeping generalisation time, a lot of people based in the UK do consider themselves Europeans and are interested in European cinema. And it is perhaps a little bit more accessible than... Americans again, like I said, sweeping generalization. Okay. Because why are these films remade? Subtitles is one of the issues. Yeah. Uh, it was a foreign language yeah. film with Numi Rapace, who came to the fore because she was yeah. Lisbeth in the. I mean, the yeah, Swedish you're right. Version. The ba- the basic reason why films are remade is because hmm. they are more digestible to an audience in hmm. uh, in English. Hmm. Um, but if and, you're making a... and and with the stars as well. With more stars. Yes, celebrities. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yes, so re- remake it. And and I wonder if... I'm not sure of this film... I, you know, this is off the top of my head. I'm not saying this film created this, but this film was certainly an example of taking an existing property that did quite well, but just didn't do that well in America, or wasn't even seen in America, remaking it big budget style. But Rooney Mara wasn't famous either. She'd just been uh, no. in the social network and a couple of other things. She was not well known. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. But had Daniel Craig become Bond? Yeah, he was Bond by then. Right, which is interesting um, because if you look at his body, which you do get to see throughout this film, he is not as buff. He obviously, like, was, you know, was, eats some was, chicken and broccoli. He was between Bonds. He was between Bonds. Between Bonds. No, it's not criticism. It's not criticism. Get the guy like, broke, man. <laughs> but it's, it, it makes you realise that when he makes these Bond films, he's doing something to his body. Oh, God, which yeah. Is, we've decided is the, is the current... Um, Bond body. God, yeah, he has to. You don't see Sean Connery and Roger Moore doing that. Even Pierce Brosnan's kind of on the lanky side, isn't he? He was, he had his top off, but he was never. But, but... certainly Sean Connery and Roger Moore, just purely because it's a mm. different era, and I think they were just more. Um, it, you know, you, you were, you didn't have to mm. get your body. You did a little bit, I suppose, but no, it was they, more. They all got their body out. But it was I've more. Seen all their but it was chests, more about active, acting suave, wasn't it? Yeah. And and that kind of thing. There's something about the modern actor action star that has to be super buff like look at chris chris hemsworth it's not he 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 plays someone who's buffing like black hat as well as he does in thor thor at least makes sense he's a god anyway we've gone off the subject i think the good thing about this movie is that we can now talk about the first true fincher heroine mm. i think that he was working on it with panic room but jodie foster is not she's quite capable as we mentioned in the previous episode she does some cool stuff um and you know this is no detriment to her but lisbeth is a fascinating character who everyone can become obsessed with i don't think um jodie foster's character in panic room engenders that kind of mm. like admiration what do you think of Elizabeth Fallon well she's the um, 
there's something always quite uh, fascinating and watchable about the um, misunderstood genius. <laughs> Because that's, that's what it is, isn't it? It's it's the person that has an incredible um, skill uh, that can do things that a lot of people can't do. That can't do, but he's totally been uh, mistreated and misunderstood her entire life and abused her entire life. Um, there, there's a sort of audience satisfaction with with watching her win. I think more than anything else. Um, I think she's she's um, she does. There is a lot of or examination of what happened to her. Well, maybe not enough. No, what I'm saying there is um, it, it's never truly said what really happens to her, except that, that you are led to believe that she has been probably sexually... You mean before the things before, that Before the events with... of the film, definitely. Yes. Before the events of the film. Um, but what? But the fact that she was sort of... I think you're... you're, you're it's either directly said or certainly insinuated that she was sexually abused. Uh, it's it's definitely said in the books, but yeah. it's but it's not the same as what happens to her now. It's more the fact that she's neglected, yeah, um, because she has this successful relationship with um, the guy who's looking after mm. her. What do you, I don't know what you call a person who looks after a ward? Um, a but I, also, I would say as well about her that, that there's two sides of her. Definitely, there's there's the there's the sort of the genius element, which is all very technical and yes. investigative and good with computers and all this stuff. And, and it is it, it is genius level IQ that that she demonstrates, mm. which kind of leads you down this sort of path of it doesn't matter what your background is if you're just that good at something then you're just that good. But then she is quite clearly um, emotionally underdeveloped, um, which leads her down, leads her to make some pretty immature decisions when she becomes an adult. Well, certainly ones that are sort of represented in the film anyway. Um, Go on, give some. I'm intrigued if what you're saying. Well, I mean, without going too deeply into the plot, the whole the whole sort of last sort of 20 minutes of the film... Right, so you're talking about Mikhail. You're not yeah. talking about what she does with... Is he called Martin? Yes, the horrible, horrible... No, he's not called Martin. That's another person in the film. Who's the horrible, horrible man who oh, I yeah. hate? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's no... I don't think... I don't know any viewer who's going to have a problem with her enacting her own particular brand of vigilante Nils. justice against him. But His name is the way she deals with... The way she reacts to Daniel Craig and her, her probably misinterpretation of the cues from Daniel uh, from Daniel Craig Yeah. Um, leads to quite a substantial chunk of film at the end, which did leave me slightly puzzling as to where we were going with all yeah. that. Um Let's jump back a bit. Yeah, so sure. you said something that I'd like to pick up on, yeah. which was you said about her being a kind of misunderstood genius. Yeah. And that is the same as Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. It, obviously, this is a, a type that at this period in his life, Fincher was interested in. Uh, yeah, fair Because point, yeah. very, very, very different. One a real person, one a fictional, one a man, one a woman. Uh, one, both of them victimised in one way or another, but... but Zuckerberg turning into the victimizer at some point almost or wanting to get revenge against a society that's apparently offended him whereas she she genuinely has been physically and emotionally harmed by um both an individual well, think, yeah. and society I also think by the way that there is there is at some at some level at her very core she's basically good I don't think you could necessarily. I don't think the social network necessarily said the same about Mark Zuckerberg. That at his think, core, is he good? Do you think she's good? I'm. I'm. I, I think. I, I think, think she has a moral. Co- she has her own code. I don't. Her code is is like um, the uh, Batman code or the Robin Hood code. I will do bad things 
to bad people. Which, but which, she still does yeah, bad things. There's, there's, a, there's a vigilante justice element yes. to it, to be sure. But I don't think as a viewer you... you, you no, no, I'm not saying you, you don't you, like you her, but you, can like, but, you can like, but you can like bad people. Um... But at, at its core, if yeah. you are, it, it, it is true that you know, if you are a good person and you mm-hmm. do good things, mm-hmm. um, then she will, you know, give you give you respect, so to speak. Um, yeah. she, she will not do anything to you. Now, th- that, that's a, that's a quite a dangerous line, I, I note, given the fact that she has this technical prowess that allows to hack in. So if you've ever done anything bad on the internet, um, she's probably going to know. But she searches for Mikhail and she goes onto his private computer mm. he's done nothing wrong to her well, most i think she ethically crosses the line all the bloody time in the pursuit of work as long as she can't oh yeah get... look look I there's mean, different kinds of bad right let, let, hang private, on. privacy has got nothing let, to do let, with it has let's it, really, get down to brass tacks right she has raped horrifically mm. including anally and various other things that happened to her by Niels in the film but that's almost setting up he's such a horrible person that the viewer is rabid with anticipation for what she's going to do to get him back because there is something about Lisbeth which is very confident just because she's a loner it doesn't mean that she's lonely I think she very much goes about her world and she wants to be on her own because she doesn't trust people but she also likes her own company um but when she gets revenge, and I don't for a second disagree with it, but if we just looked at it from an unbiased basis, she goes proper crazy on him. She, she, well, I'm not saying well, it's not deserved. Okay. I'm not saying well, he didn't do things to her. I think she but she, dishes, she gives revenge and then. Well, some, she she dishes which is impressive she dishes for a it she character. dishes it out in the way that she got it dished out to her, which I think most people regard as reasonably fair. It albeit an eye for an eye. Yeah, an eye for an eye. A, albeit a, not strictly in accordance with the law. But a, then, but then, in a, but then in a film, but then in a film like this, who cares? But at the same time, yeah. The, the, I think the whole point of that scene, by the way, is. Um, when she's when she's raped in the first instance, mm-hmm. she 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 walks away from it having been beaten down, and you think, oh, it's happened to her again, and so on and so yeah. forth. And then you are, I think, you a, think you, she's you, the you, victim. You are, you are invited yes. to believe at that point. Oh, you know, poor girl, she's been. But then, of course, it takes you on this this journey. Yeah. This journey is actually you got it all wrong. You know, th- th- this is something that happened to her. It's bad, but she will. You know, th- this mm-hmm. will equalize out, mm-hmm. and it really demonstrates what kind of person that she is, which is. If you do the right thing by her, she will do the right thing by you. If you do something wrong, you will get it back. Probably about as much as you dished it out. Maybe, maybe, more. maybe more. Yeah. But something that's so amazing is that you don't see this character often, especially as a female, because women, and particularly, she has a look about her which is not frail but very skinny all the way through the film and this happens in the book as well and um, uh, books she yeah, is asked like, to eat yeah she's like an emaciated yeah, she, Adam's family member yeah she and really? she I wish I were emaciated but yeah it's not it, she's pretty thin um, she eats junk food as well and things like that so to have a character who displays such mental strength that she can use her mind to get her revenge without really using a gun which is what most women and revenge narrative in a film mm. do like yes okay fine she's got a taser and things like this but mostly her revenge is is based on like clever thinking and um uh, going back to seven again and um, like 
it's about sin as well. There's, there's some ideas about sin in this film, definitely, because guilt and shame is what she uses to control Nils, which he thinks he was using to control her, but I don't actually think she has guilt and shame, really, or not, or, or her mental toughness exceeds well it's it's that. a power flip isn't it i mean like yeah. they they always say do they not that that you know uh, crimes like rape are as much about power as about anything else and what she does is, is flip that so that she is the one that's totally empowered but also when she suffers from all of that you see her in the shower you see blood and bruises and everything you think like you were i think saying earlier oh she's been destroyed because you have a lot of rape narrative on film where women are not reporting it or not telling anyone yeah. or scared yeah. and then you realize and this is where fincher does something that i truly think is remarkable for a film is that she doesn't feel those things. She just knows that she has to work outside of society. Sometimes it's because a woman feels like, you know, rape convictions are so low, no one will believe me. And I'm sure she'll, she thinks that's well, no one will believe her, but it's for a slightly different reason. It's because she's got this idea of being this ward of the state that she can't think for herself. And then she comes back and she delivers her own retribution, but she you don't see her feeling any guilt or shame. She mm. knows she did nothing to warrant the mistreatment. Of course, yeah. But most other films and stories, the woman at some point has to have some kind of guilt narrative. Mm. We put that on our female heroines. It's mm. ridiculous. And this film doesn't. It lets her take back the agency... And never dwells on because Fincher doesn't do that. His emotions are never, he never dwells on people feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah, true, true. It's just not an emotion he's interested in. He likes base emotions like lust or <laughs> um, anger, you know, it's, um, or, well, you know, even when he did Benjamin Button, there was love, but he doesn't do, I just don't think he does feeling sorry for yourself emotions and that's why Elizabeth's so important we can talk about our relationship with Mikhail because that's when Fincher does a little bit let me down but again that's what happens in the book so she has a healthy relationship ish with Daniel Craig to the extent that it's a Swedish healthy relationship which is everyone's married to someone else and everyone shagging someone well, else well I mean I don't know there, there's, there's definitely this like um, Scandinavian attitude towards relationships stereotype there which is, and French as well, which is everyone has a lover. Possibly. Or is a um, lover. I don't know. I think it's more that there's a sort of, uh, this is more about her. About I, I, um, I don't think Daniel Craig, I forget what his character's name is. Mikhail. Mikhail. Um, he is, all right, he's portrayed as a slightly victimised person, but I also think he, you know, that there is an element of cheating going on that's, that's Whatever, whatever you think of that, I don't know. But more, more the point about his relationship with Elizabeth is, is that she, um, for all we know, for the first time in her life, actually um, fell in love, fell in love with someone, with someone. or Although at least, she's got a girlfriend. or at least found a, found a man, man she could trust. Yes, I think um, it's more that. And and went and went did everything she could for him and helped about saved his life at one point. Um, but really has just not fully understood what the, the nature of their relationship really was. Do you think that Fincher shows it on film then that he doesn't feel the same way? Because I don't... I, I'm not sure if he does. And it's not a, it's not a criticism. 
it's a classic man, heterosexual man-woman relationship, which is they don't have the conversation. She feels her feelings. He still has his feelings for Robin Wright's character, who is married to someone well, I, else. I, which you don't really see that much well, in the film. I, 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 think think you're, that I think you're led down the pathway of thinking that the two of them, Elizabeth and Mikhail, have a future. I think, you're, I th- I think, Do you it, think so? I think it's implied. Yeah. Um, and then, and hence, when, when it all just doesn't really work out, it, it, is, it is somewhat shocking... Um, not just to, to Elizabeth, but also to um, to the viewer, because you you, you go along for the journey. If, if this was done, if this was done a very sort of strict Hollywood happy Hollywood happy ending type way, he probably would leave Robin Wright and go with Elizabeth. Even, but this isn't the, this is not the kind of film for that. Which is he's going to go back to his uh, sort of slightly bourgeois middle class life, and and she's probably not going to see him again. Is it, is the theory anyway? I, but also, I don't think he feels for her like she feels for him. Because possibly, how yeah. could he possibly yeah. understand what she's been through? Mm. Because at no point in the film do they have a conversation about true, it. True, he doesn't true. know. In the book, I'm sure they have a relationship because he learns about the things that yeah. have happened to her. I, I could be wrong because it's been a long time since I read the yeah, book. Yeah, the impression yeah. I got is that... And, and this is always the case with the book-to-film adaptation, is that the book can always round out the relationships and the characterization more. But I never feel bad... I never feel like Daniel Craig's character has led her up the garden path. No, I, I, I don't think he has either. But at the same time, I think you're, you're, you're invited more on her journey than you are on his yes. in this respect. Yeah. So you feel the hurt a little bit as a viewer. And I'm not entirely sure. I think their screen time is probably actually quite equal. Mm. But, you know, this is called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So, that, you know, the narrative starts there. She's on the posters. She's this very striking character, whereas Daniel Craig is like Mr. Normal with his Mr. Normal accent. Doesn't even try I to had do to, a Swedish Well, I mean, on that accent. subject, I, <laughs> I, I having having very little knowledge of the books or anything, mm-hmm. I, I had to ask you, is he supposed to be English? No, everyone's Swedish. I, I, I the writer you... is Swedish. <laughs> Everyone in it is Swedish. It's translated to English. He made no effort, did he? Yeah. But, but then again, the, this is a whole separate subject we shouldn't get into now, which is like, do people try? You said this about when we were watching Marie Antoinette, um, the Sofia Coppola film, which is that people were all having all different accents. And I kind of liked it because they were almost saying French people were American and Austrian people were British. Yeah. It wasn't quite that delineated, but it made me laugh. I like that idea that it's like, just pick an accent that you can all do. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with this even though we know Daniel Craig can do his Deep South accent. He obviously can't um, do, because everyone else was trying. Well, I'll say... Rooney's trying, Robin Wright's trying, I'll Christopher say, Plummer's I'll doing say, a great job. I'll say that you, you, you're kind of... Look, if you, if you don't think you can do it, or, or, or it's going to sound stupid in you doing it, then, but then by all means, you, you don't. The only slight criticism I have of that is because is that I had to ask you, <laughs> is, is he actually from London? We haven't really talked much about the plot of the film. I... There are very few women uh, talking to each other. Again, I can't think. What well, my idea is, I've, I can look a lot of this up, which would be the you know professionals' way of dealing with a podcast. But you know, now I've done like sixty episodes or what have you. Like all professionalism has gone out the window. I want my feel for the film, and my feel is there's quite a few female characters, but they're not talking to each other. Mm. Or if they are, they're like sisters who've had a fight. Or something like that. You know, Robin Wright and Lisbeth don't ever interact and there's no need for them to. That there's there's all these other films, uh, all the, sorry, all these other characters and members of the family, Christopher Plummer's character's family, which is the thriller aspect. 
that we talk to, but they don't really talk to each other either because they're all in a family disagreement. Mm. Well, or, or yeah. you know, sort of perennially arguing with each mm. other or, or estranged from each mm. other. We also have Stellan Skarsgård, and I believe he is Swedish in the film. Um, and we have um, English actors and actresses and other Scandinavian. It's a, quite a hodgepodge, but everybody looks the part. Fincher went with uh, Aryan as the <laughs> look to show, which makes sense because there's this not Nazi aspect yeah. and you want to visualise It's also a co-pro, that. which basically means you need to have about a third of your cast Swedish, third US and a third British. Yeah, so that makes that sense. Um, uh, we've probably talked about everything to do with Elizabeth now. We could have a whole podcast just about her as a character. I think she's phenomenal. I do think it's a little bit of a letdown with she goes through these character changes so obviously yes there's the first part and the horror at the beginning then there's the falling in love with Mikhail part and then she becomes an international spy part and has that blonde wig and (laughs) all of that that part is for me that's when the film a little bit jumps the shark well I think okay Fincher realizes he's got a whole separate hour of film well I have fit in 15 minutes well I have I have a sort of mixed views on this which is to say that there is a point to it in terms of her character development, but really the character development is 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 can be summed up with, I've done all this for this guy and he still went with Robin Wright. It should go from finding out who the psycho killer yeah. is, that seeing this familial connection, then there's a big chase and they're running away from Skarsgård's character and all, all of that kind of thing. And then she runs him over and blows him up. And then it should go to, they're back in Stockholm. Yeah. She tries to give him the jacket and that scene. You're right, it doesn't need any of the bit in the middle. The, or, or the end section. The only point is, is that I would say as a director, Finch is thinking, I want to give the audience, or maybe a studio said, I don't know, but I want to give the audience something positive so that they know at the end of this film Lisbeth's going to be all right because it is a downer to end it on he goes off with Robin Wright not that it's a love story but do you know what I mean it's a it's a it's a strange ending it is but but lest lest we forget she's just been metaphorically kicked in the teeth by by Daniel Craig uh just by just no, the no, fact no, that, he, no. that he walked off with Robin Wright yeah but I'm saying that's the end and what I'm, but that's the very, very end. But right before that, she gets all the money. Um, I'm yeah. trying to say, is, but, is that but, trying but, but to But the money, I don't, look, I mean, like, no. get chucking money at her doesn't solve her life problems. And the, 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 her, her story arc is one of kind of, I had all the, you know, I've grown up with all these issues, but this this crime that I've helped solve and, I'm, and so and so and so, that, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it develops her as a person and so on and so forth. And, Wherever she goes from there in life, it's probably, I think as a viewer, you would assume it to be positive, shall we say. Yeah. Um, I just think that, that that kicks her down, again, that Daniel Craig, uh, that, 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 that sort of So whole... you think that's not a good ending? It should have ended with just them I, discovering the I, killer. I would have done it. It, it smacks them. You know, you, know, like, you know, sometimes you just think, oh, God, just drop that bit from the book. Like It's like Return of the King, the last 20 minutes, where everyone sort of sat around the cinema looking at their watch going... Jesus Christ, when's this going to end? Because this is just going on Friends a bit. And said goodbye yeah, it, It's a bit like that, I thought. Yes. I thought, hang on, the, the, the ending was 20 minutes ago. Why have we got this? Well, what about if I tell you this? Fincher was going to make sequels for the second book and the third mm-hmm. book. 
which you don't know what happens, but basically they get to a, a nice place. Not necessarily in a relationship, but mm. they, they have other crimes to solve. Okay, fair enough. Do you think maybe that that was a choice made by someone who's trying to get you to come back for the sequel? Uh, I don't know. It's a very dangerous game to make a film with sequels in mind. Um, it, my, my advice to anyone doing that is make the film you want to make. Make it 90 minutes, 120 minutes, but make it a complete A to Z structure. If it's any good yeah. and, and if it feels right, then you know there's a good chance you'll get a sequel out of it. So there you go anyway. It won't make a difference. Um, it, again, it, it just... You should end, you're saying end a film... Unless you're absolutely guaranteed, like Lord of the Rings, that there's going to be three yeah, of them. Yeah. Make a film as if that's your only film you're yeah. going to make on the subject. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay, so we've talked about female characterization, which we can only really talk about Lisbeth. A little bit Robin Wright, a little bit a couple of other female characters, but really they're not of any consequence. Would you agree? Am I imagining that... Did I imagine that Jolie Richardson... Was Jolie Richardson is the... Yeah. yeah. Without saying too much about the plot, is yeah. an important plot character. But um, she doesn't get that much screen time. No, she doesn't. Not that much. Um, There's uh, a couple of other actresses as well playing family members. But then everyone's a little bit bit part there because the problem is, is that there are lots of family members. It's quite a sinister film, isn't it, really? I mean, in terms of... Do you feel of... that watching? Yeah. I feel it... like there's an atmosphere. There's a, there's an element of um, I thought which I always find quite fearful of the, of uh, um, a sort of establishment. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, maybe it's going back to your Winklevosses. You're talking about the old families, the old well, it is. Nazi. There is, there is an element of it, isn't Nazi there? families. But it's, yeah, but it's it, it's almost like the establishment protected. Yes, their own. R- ring of crime. Yes. There's a sinister element to this, which... I, I, I... Your, my family can do whatever they want. They can be yeah. psycho-sadistic, yeah. rapist-killers. Yeah, what's more important... But the family name Yeah, must... what's more important is the family name yeah. and the protection of yeah. what we've created, and anything else goes. Yeah. We, will, we will tolerate it. Yeah. There is actually also a positive part of it, which is to do with Jolene Richardson, which is where basically it's about people escaping mm. there is actually they just it goes too quickly but there is a positive story that a chain that that family chain of sadism is broken yeah um and um yeah it's quite touching the scenes with her and christopher Plummer. that was quite nice as well so there are some like positive female empowerment um like narratives in this film which are you know that go to when fincher wants to do those he goes full throttle mm, yeah. in the way of panic room that like the women do like he doesn't yeah he doesn't ever let his female characters suffer they're always empowered unless it's the prostitute in seven who we never see um uh do, do you know what i mean so yeah. the problem is he just doesn't use enough of them Helen the bottom carters um what's her name Mar- Mar- marla marla singer yeah yeah she's um uh, she's quite empowered as well in her own special way. He is good. So to bring this back again into is he is Fincher a film feminist? Like yes, he doesn't go as far. It's never going to pass all Bechdel tests, and it's never going to be you know unless all of his films are all about women all the time. It's never going to be quite what I'm hoping for. But I do believe that when he does use women on screen, he is helping the cause. He is not lessening it yeah. or hindering. Yeah, it. I agree. And also, he also paints women as people. You know, it's really hard when you're looking into things on a gender basis to not become obsessed with it. 
A woman is a human being. A man is a human being. They should all be able to do the same things, which Elizabeth Salander does. Like, I'm amazed by how Rooney Mara rides that motorbike because I just think I couldn't do it. Motorbike, I've been on like a, a scooter and they're so heavy between the thighs. Um, and she's they're actually, girl. they're scary actually. My sister used to have a motorbike yeah. and I used to ride on the back of it and uh, even when she was doing 25 miles an hour, it I was scared. Feels, but to have, but, but you know, for a woman to be on her own, a lot of women just like, don't necessarily have the strength to hold it up you know a lot of men don't either so things like that that fincher just puts in there and there's no discussion of it it's just like she's got a motorbike at the end Thank you for making it to the end of part two of the Fincher cast. Now, this has been nearly two hours, and I think that's a lot for people to listen to and delve into the world of David Fincher. Not everyone's uh, favourite place. And I thought that what we will do is bring out another episode with what I consider the best Fincher film and looking at the new Fincher film Mank coming out soon so look out for that pod please contact us at beyondbeck at gmail.com or beyond underscore Beckdale on Twitter or you can fill out a form on our website beyondbeckdale.com thanks for listening see you next time